Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. For our oldest and most loyal listeners out there, we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Outside of our careers and time spent with family, the three of us here at Maltopia have been working every night and weekend for the past five years, building our company into what it is today. With your help, our goal is to make Maltopia our livelihood, allowing us to bring you higher quality content, exciting new podcast series and published works, and a large central community for you to take part in. As a thank you for your support, we're offering exclusive perks and bonus content, like early access to podcast episodes, behind-the-scene creator videos, and more. Go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia today and explore our membership levels. And be sure to scroll through for free public content, some of which gives you a sneak peek at what you can expect when you become a member.
From Mark, Steve, and Walker, thanks again for enjoying our podcast, and we hope to meet you soon on Patreon. The fallen king looked out every portal of his lost kingdom, his awareness falling upon the diminished number of Oversapien entering his shadowed domain, whipped dogs and crestfallen monsters. His decision to act came too late to preserve his people. The machine made the first and best move. It always did. His kinsmen were a hardy lot despite themselves. Their machine souls propped them up when any other creature would have collapsed the burden of cosmic trauma too much for any other being to bear. The passion to champion his kind had gone hollow over the years, but not for lack of determination, but for absence of hope. The forger would tell him, whenever he seemed most burdened by this feeling, A promise is like anything else under the sun, my friend. Diamonds, titanium, mountains, uh, wills and hearts, they all can break. We're gonna be fine. Just you wait and see. The forger was one of the first to be taken. Even the stealthy Werewind, his unseen assassin, was brought low. At every turn, the machine was placing him in check, which was why he'd elected to step from the back of the board. It was a dangerous gamble, but it allowed him to preserve one of his most important pieces. The weakener was a rook, or perhaps a bishop largely essential. But equally important was his plan to defy the machine's chessboard to involve players who had no part on it. To that end, he had compacted with forces no less mysterious and dark than the machine itself, but this was no less a wager than his last. His outing had also, and at last, allowed him to confront an actual emissary of the machine. He had no doubt that the bright-eyed creature was nothing short of the same kind of being he detected conspiring with Mr. Silkwood, if not the very monster itself. On the other hand, he had no idea what alien hell the gigantic insectoid abomination had sprung from. Still, both horrors were likely only the wetted tip of a very large and lethal iceberg, just a sampling of the varied and vicious resources at the disposal of the machine. Angren sensed his guest had arrived, the tangibly baleful presence being conducted to the deepest chamber. The lost metropolis was part of himself, and so his flesh reacted to the creature, hackles rising. The fallen king descended to the city's lowest level, 
past the prehistoric catacombs where his ancestors laid in crypts sunken beneath oldest stone in silence, and beyond the derelict devices of ancient construction, whose complexity and consequent alienage signaled an epoch of unguessed, if ultimately lost, advancement. The deepest chamber, an antediluvian shrine covered in outre reliefs of baffling import, had been reserved for his personal use, a place of quiet meditation, a preserve or resolve. The man he'd summoned into the depths was standing in the corner, absorbing the shadows rather than laying beneath them, all except his eyes, pinpoints of muted violet. They were visible in the darkness, or perhaps through the darkness, for the effect was not furnished for the emission of additional light, but for the omission of the darkness surrounding them, setting them out as if the room were fully lit. I am pleased to see you have finally accepted my invitation, Master Strahd. I've wanted to make your acquaintance for some time. My apologies for the wait, King of the Oversapiens. But I'm a respecter of timing, and the latter invitations were poorly timed by my reckoning. However, now is perfect. I see. I suspect you have some sense of my purpose in bringing you here. Naturally. You seek my aid against the Melengian. And yes, at minimum, I can do just that. If you don't mind my asking, how did you come to know about the machine? The violet-eyed man paused a moment before he began, crossing the room with his arms behind his back, his expression contemplative. Its engineering is supernal, if you'll pardon the admiration of its construction, and has been compared to my own works. Or, I should say, the works of my kind. We compete in the same space, you see. It would be difficult for us not to be familiar, if not entirely intimate with its legend, as I am certain the machine is no less familiar with ours, and for the exact reason. But despite our awareness of each other, our paths have not crossed, at least not with any weighted intention. But, as I said earlier, the fated time for such a meeting is now finally upon us, to prove my kind the superior engineer. Angren had no intention of exploring the man's words any farther than was required, as fate was a sore subject among the progeny of the machine. You have the luxury we oversapiens lack, then. The confidence to believe the machine can be thwarted. Everything can be thwarted, good king. The nature of this existence demands that its players share a capacity for loss, lest the game fail to progress meaningfully. The machine is merely an outstanding player, its presence upon the playing field terrifying. And like all of us, it gilds its machinations in cleverness and so much shadow precisely because it can lose. A careful player is a vulnerable player, you understand. Of course you're right, Master Engineer. Yet, our relationship to the thing demands a certain skepticism of its weakness. Likely the result of our construction, I presume. 
a built-in advantage for the machine. But, to your point, my people did win their freedom from it, if a highly contested one. Yes, all part of the cleverness I mentioned earlier, and surely a mighty obstacle, but such things are defined by their overcoming nonetheless. I know this for a fact, as the machine is only here, upon this very world, because it is capable of loss. Angren was visibly intrigued by this last divulgence, a small collection of words outlining insights larger than the sun. The Oversapien assumed his expression did all the asking required for the Strahd to continue. I imagine it comes as both a surprise and a given that the thing is from beyond the world, any world, in fact, which is not to say that it is alien, for it knows the universe and this planet as well as any creature. And, yes, it was defeat that brought it here, which should provide you, at the very least, a grain of hope. The monarch's incredulity needed to be put down, as the words were too encouraging to be real. And you know this precisely how. Ingrin's tone was unintentionally accusative, born from a trust that was hard-earned and a nature built to be suspicious. We Strad know what we know, and our secrets are our own to keep, Oversapien. But I will say this. Fate is not a rule of the universe, merely an old habit. And fortunately, you and your kind have aligned with one of its most cherished traditions, to celebrate the underdog. So, it was its own progeny that overthrew it. Estrade said nothing, changing the topic. Our assistance is not for free, despite this effort coinciding with our own interests. All that we would ask of you is, you're dead. After the reckoning that is inevitable, and should you prevail, there will be many corpses on both sides. We would have them for ourselves. The man stated his demand with no inflection, no discernible appreciation for the morbidity of it. This was no negotiation, no place for bargaining or grandstanding. Ingrin had only to agree or not. There were no other choices. Very well. Should we triumph... They will be yours. Excellent. We will also give you a night's time to mourn your dead, and then we shall come for them. But if I may, how exactly shall you assist us? And will there be others of your kind, or merely you alone? The man with violet eyes smiled ever so slightly. You needn't worry, most powerful of the Oversapien. You will realize our assistance when it arrives. And, you should also know, Astrad is never alone. Ingrin sensed the room filling up, or was it the shadows that had become so overcrowded? For a small army of creatures suddenly thronged the blackness around them. The things were colossal abominations, formed from no discernible constellation of form and function, each one its own unique departure from common sense, united only by their collective menace. Angren's eyes fell upon the closest creature, examining it in minute detail. It was a mammoth patchwork of conflicting materials, 
metal and skin, coiling elastic tubers, and mucosal membranes dimly aglow with flitting foxfire. All the stuff crushed into an inelegant framework of scarcely humanoid shape. The face was a protrusion of tusks and pincers that emerged above deeply recessed optical clusters, some of which peered through spheres of soulless black, others flexing multifaceted pupils and burning irises. Hosting what appeared a collection of organic weaponry, the monster's exterior boasted everything from bony hooks to biomechanical cannons. All told, it was a fearsome symbol of the pit, and was but a single atrocity amid a legion of living, looming corruption. <laughs> I see, the Oversapien smiled. Keith tried to raise the corners of his mouth into a smile, fastened as it was to his very soul, the two inextricably linked in an unending attempt to deny the world's misery. At long last, he managed a modest smirk, but only after the tidal waves of sound, undoubtedly tossed from the sea of violence both the Deadnought and Mars were swimming in, crashed against his delicate sensitivities. He was grateful for the opportunity to focus beyond himself. Lynn responded immediately to the conductor's discovery. Jesus, it sounds like they're fighting an army down there. Lynn said to Keith, Hazel between them, looking confused. Who's fighting an army? Cromwell and Mars? Keith thought at first to diminish the specter of Lynn's words, in deference to Hazel's more pronounced empathy, but thought better of it. The woman was one of them now, and worry and misery might as well be card-carrying members of the group. They have far beyond our ability to reach at the moment, my dear, likely deep into the pit. But from the sounds of things, they're managing just fine without us. Best we leave them to it. He felt a bit bad for the lie, that the missing members couldn't be reached, as one of his songs could likely manage the feat easily enough, though it would require blasting through the building to expedite the process which would more than likely destroy the banquet hall, and thus the very reason they came. Hazel's gaze dropped to the floor, likely beneath the weight of certain realizations concerning the sort of life she was living, the sacrifices that must be made, the burdens taken up. When she didn't follow up her concerns, Keith felt even worse, realizing that she was reaching equilibrium with the untenable, the beginning of the end of empathy. His own response to it all was to dance the lip of lunacy, teasing insanity from afar. But what would she do to manage hopelessness? His concern for Hazel brought his focus back inward, landing firmly upon the memories of his lost son, William. His little boy was never far from his thoughts, if not his words. After the scream ripped into his brain, he had become a ghost of the man he was, let alone the father he'd been. The pain was compounded by the fact he'd found his son only to lose him again. Few families were reunited after the darkness, and children fared especially poorly. While Keith's family had not been entirely preserved, having lost his wife to some unknowable fate, William had been miraculously recovered from the small town of Hicksondale, a place entirely refashioned from anthracite. But the life that followed was not miraculous, and Keith bowed to the pain of the scream, 
leaving his son in the care of his sister, he admitted himself to a distant hospital for treatment. Soon after, he learned his son and sister had been killed in one of the largest neo-Wiccan uprisings to date. Without the interference from whatever spirit lurked the merger building, the journey downward was entirely unremarkable, just so much wreckage and death, a familiar landscape by now. Rounding the final corner, the passengers entered a vast and crumbling lobby. Its once extravagant construction, a muted corpse of its former architectural glory. There were fallen statues and broken marble flooring strewn everywhere, and the ceiling had collapsed in places. The ghost of crowded halls and valued enterprise wandering the ruins. Keith realized the battle that sounded from below had concluded and he searched the depths with his invisible song, but heard nothing. There it is, Hazel whispered, her flashlight landing upon the plaque placed above a set of large double doors. Detriment Hall, it read. Keith was about to comment on the discovery when a mechanical whirring sound made its way to his superior sense of hearing. Then the movement of something large crossed his sonar. It was a huge pneumatic staircase descending from above. Lynn shot Keith a puzzled expression, to which he only shrugged. Hazel finally noticed the device only after it loudly sat down in front of the lobby's doors. What the hell? was all the regressor said, looking to her comrades for explanation, both staring at the object, waiting to see what would stride down the expanse. Keith and Lynn detected the plot of a crowd gradually descending the mechanical staircase, the casual gait of a diverse multitude growing nearer. When the gathering reached the doorway, the lights of the lobby flickered on, filling the dashed spaces with stolen twilight, as if the room opened upon the dying sun. The passengers sank into the ample shadows formed by the scattered lights, examining the scene as it unfolded. A familiar voice came over the intercom system. Welcome one and all to this advanced showing of a true classic of the unseen cinema. The show will begin at 3 a.m. sharp, so please make ready. The crowd was a disparate thing, partaking from a rambling vein of human idiosyncrasy, some of which seemed to struggle beneath the header of human. Of the lot of outlandish strangers, one stood out most of all a figure hidden almost completely beneath an absurdly wide-brimmed black hat, from which flowed an inky veil of translucent silk. Only the tips of their tarnished sable shoes escaped the cascading drape. Another set of lights struggled on, blinking the passengers into view. The newcomers regarded them only momentarily and with nary an interest. Keith was happy to be revealed and offered the crowd a slight nod as their collective attention wandered across him. Wanting to inspect the newcomers more thoroughly, he advanced closer, grinning all the way. A darksome lot, to be sure, he eagerly addressed the first dismal figure to meet his eyes, a lank woman with a thick streak of gray parting the blackness of her unkempt bob, her eyes the color of ash. A wonderful evening for a show, yes? Keith beamed from beneath his own unkempt hair, long tangles of platinum blonde running past his mournful eyes. Yes, I suppose it is at that. A mite chilly, perhaps. 
Yes, a little bit of a bite to the air. Tell me, my fine lady, on whose account was this showing advanced? I was certain such things ran to a decidedly rigid schedule. I'm sure I don't know. Just that delightful voice on the phone. It alerted me to the adjusted schedule. I see. May I inquire as to your interest in tonight's showing? The woman looked pleased for the question, even eager to answer it. Why, of course. You see, my daughter went missing during the darkness. Search as I did, I found no sign of her, save one thing. The older woman smiled dumbly as she withdrew a neatly folded piece of paper from her coat pocket. Unfolding it, she handed it to the conductor. I found this in a cave that had been repurposed into a movie studio. Pointing at a smiling woman dressed in 1920s formal wear, the woman said, That's her, Maria Sanford, my daughter. It even says so where the actors are named at the bottom of the poster. Indeed it does. Keith studied the Obscurian movie advertisement, reading its gaudily illustrated title back to the woman. A tale for the ages. Watch in stunned silence as the void courts a living woman. Behold, the bride of oblivion. The male sapien found himself desperate to watch the film. But before he could enunciate his enthusiasm for the piece of paranormal cinema, the tinny voice returned. Tonight's showing will star the inimitable Bo Richter, the peerless Henrietta Mills, and the impossibly lovely Maria Sanford. Be prepared to confront the world as it's always been, but rarely seen. The solid wonders of the immaterial world. Prepare to partake in paradox in this, a sublime work of transconceptual mastery, consumed by wonder. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To help us grow and spread the word, we'd love nothing more than for you to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and tweet us on Twitter for the latest original artwork and important updates. And for even more about our ever-growing literary world, head to Maltopia.com to read our dark fiction and gain access to giveaways and discounts with our newsletter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.